Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. All in the framework of the amount of time it takes for the average person to run a 5K. That's 36 minutes and 38 seconds, give or take a mile. We often go long, so get ready. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone, how is your day going? Mine's awesome. Ready for this interview? It's going to be amazing. You're going to love it. Uh, Before we start, I'm going to put on my meditation voice. Take a moment to close your eyes and just listen. Now go beyond listening and feel for the vibrations that sound creates. Okay, if you're running, open them immediately. I will not be responsible for any running injuries because you just closed your eyes while running. So here's what happened. You just experienced a moment in the life, the passion of today's guest, Deanne Rudden. Deanne's a friend of mine who specializes in the field of audiology. She is basically a hearing therapist. I kind of made that up. It probably already exists, but I'm calling her a hearing therapist because what she does goes far beyond the actual mechanics of our ears. After our interview, I had the opportunity to visit Deanne in her actual practice in Longmont, Colorado. It's called the Longmont Hearing and Tinnitus Center. I think that's how you say it, tinnitus, that ringing in your ears, right? So she owns the practice, um, and we decided that I should go in for a few reasons. Number one, Deanne suggests that we all get a baseline hearing check by age 50. I'm 47, so for once in my life, I'm early. Uh, Number two, I've been asking Tim to repeat certain words and phrases when we watch shows together, and I can tell he's sort of annoyed. And an annoyed spouse is one of the signs of hearing loss. I'm not kidding. So I figured I should check. And number three, a couple years ago, I hit myself in the bottom of my jaw with a 20-pound slam ball, which I slammed really hard on the ground which wasn't supposed to bounce up, but did, and bounced equally hard into the bottom of my face, um, at which point I thought I had done something horrible, but kind of rebounded. However, my ear and jaw area hasn't felt the same since. So again, I figured I'll go check it out and see if I damaged it. So Deanne met me after hours, and we had the place to ourselves. Her office is covered in brilliant emotional photos of Deanne around the world helping fit people for hearing aids. It's a really cool part of the story, and we talk about it in today's episode. Um, We went into this little sound room, which she explained to me how they transported it over to her new office. It's really incredible, the stuff they do. Um, But she did some testing in this little room that I've actually never had done before. And afterward, we went over my results. And here's the nutshell. I am on the low side of healthy hearing in both ears. So I'm still in the normal range for most frequencies. They do a whole bunch of different frequency tests on each ear. But I'm right sort of on the line. And my takeaway is that... There's nothing for me to really do right now, 
but now I know where I stand. So in a few years, if I'm having more issues, I can go in and get tested again. And then I will know that it's actually deteriorated. And that's why you need a baseline. Plus, maybe Tim's just annoyed with me in general, (laughs) not because I ask him to repeat things. So that's a whole nother podcast. Anyway, so with that fun little personal intro about my work with Deanne, let's get audiologist Deanne Rudden on the show. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Deanne, (laughs) thanks for coming out to the Skirt Sports store. Skirt Sports. We're doing a live interview in the back room. I feel like (laughs) I've gotten the golden ticket to the back of Skirt Sports. It's really, really secretive. (laughs) (laughs) There's bins and piles and junk. No, there's like designs and all kinds of cool things happening. We make you sign your life away before you Mm -hmm. leave because you are seeing the future. Isn't that cool? It is. It is. It's super cool. Well, welcome. I'm so glad that we're getting a chance to finally connect one-on-one in this awesome podcast format, of which you are not a rookie because you are hosting a podcast, aren't you? Um, I'm hosting a podcast as of one week ago. (laughs) Um, So I'm such a rookie. I'm here to learn from you. Um, But it's actually a podcast that's sponsored by The Hearing Journal. Um, They are an audiology uh, hearing care publication uh, that you can check out. But um, they tried this about a year ago and just felt like they didn't have the right recipe. So they're they're wanting to try it again. And they tapped me to give it a go. And boy, it was a blast. Okay. <laughs> I had a great time. First of all, the Hearing Journal should have a podcast. Well, yeah. Hello. Right. I mean, this is the audio channel. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, and they probably they could not have picked a better host because you are just such a talented and amazing mm-hmm. person. Yes, you're an audiologist, which makes you kind of like a medical nerd, right? Definitely. I'm an ear nerd. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and interestingly enough, I think what's cool about being, you know, 25 years post audiology training is when I first came out of school, um, I would say, oh, I'm an audiologist. And the first thing out of people's mouth would be like, what? Like no one had any idea what that meant. And they were like, spell it for me. Exactly. (laughs) O-T-I. Yeah. So now at least I feel like there's some awareness around um, audiologists and what they are and what they bring to the table. So let me just ask you something that just hit me, which is that I've gone to see an ENT and they're always looking at my nose and being like, you've really got Colorado nose. Which I think means like cracky and full of boogers and stuff. Dry. Dry. Yeah. (laughs) Or dry. (laughs) Um, But so what kind of training? Is the training pretty different? Yeah, actually, um, an ENT is really a medical physician. So they go to medical school and then they do um, specialized training primarily to treat medical conditions of the ear, do surgery. Um, Audiologists are doctors of hearing. So we're kind of the treatment and we're the diagnosis and treatment. So um, we see people to um, help them to determine what the root cause of their hearing loss is. Uh, If it's not medical medically treatable in some fashion, then they come back to us for a variety of treatment options and 
We do balance. Uh, we help people um, prevent falls, which I think also um, wow. doesn't get a lot of coverage. Um, it's almost like hear better, fall less. Um, oh, I don't know anything about that. And the and okay, so let's talk about that a little bit. It's almost like you're like the holistic side because you're covering the whole person as it relates to your hearing. To your ear mechanism, so your ear, mm. your balance, um, your auditory processing. So most of the time when people think about hearing, they're, they're thinking about actually a much bigger picture. The ear is really the sensory organ. It's just, it's taking stuff in. It doesn't filter anything. It's just incoming data. But as it travels through the system, um, and up to your brain, it's really the brain that makes sense of everything. So it's really hearing, but it's listening, it's comprehension, oh, gosh. it's cognition, it's memory, it's all of those things um, that I think we take for granted when we just talk about better hearing. Yes, absolutely. Okay. There's a just lot blow to your cover mind? here. I suddenly realized we have like this five point podcast. We could just like completely hammer out and nail and turn into your next public speaking tour. Ah. Um, but one of the first things you said is it's hearing and then it's listening. And I've always mm. felt like listening is more of like an emotional skill. People well, say like there's talkers and there's listeners and we all need to do a better job of listening. Right. But how does that relate to what you do? Well, I think a lot of times it's communication and people take for granted um, the give and take of communication. So, you know, if you're if you're speaking and you're just, you know, you've got so many thoughts going on in your head, but you're not listening to what somebody is coming back with, then you're really not taking it in. So it's the it's the intention of a, a shared experience, but it's also the attention to all of the details, um, the focus, the um, desire to actually fully be present for someone else. I mean, I for me, that's what listening is. Wow. So, do you, you know, there's almost like this psychological side of what you do. I mean, do you find yourself in that role sometimes? Yeah, I think a big part of what audiologists do is counseling. Um, and not just counseling like, here's how you use products um, related to hearing, but really almost, I mean, I joke, like sometimes I feel like a couples therapist um, because you have husbands and wives oh, yeah. or ch adult children and their parents and they're frustrated and um, they think that it's just a hearing issue. They think, oh, all I have to do is just put a hearing aid on and that's going to solve all the problems. But they forget about that that's really the the beginning of the whole oh, thing. Wow, that is such a good point. So case in point, my parents are in their 70s, right? I actually think, you know, we we should also hit on at some point what to expect throughout our lifespan with the ear hearing or ear mechanism right, that you right. mentioned, and how it wears and tears and all that. But um, they both at this point in their lives have hearing aids. And my dad's hearing is worse and has more issues. So he's constantly asking my mom, like, what'd they say? 
And my mom is like, oh, you know, and then tells him or like sometimes there's frustration that happens within a couple. I mean, I have become very aware that I often ask Tim when we're watching a show or something, what'd they say? And I can see him get frustrated. sometimes. So I totally understand. I bet you so many people listening are, are shaking their heads, too. Because it doesn't just affect the person with the hearing loss or hearing issue. It affects the people around them who feel like, oh my gosh, am I going to have to do this for the rest of my life? And then resentments can build. Right. And I think we're lazy communicators. I mean, if we're, if we're you know, keeping it real, so to speak, um, we can get away with that uh, when we're younger because our brains are much more adaptable and they're better able to process rapid information. And then as you know, we begin the aging cycle and just like the rest of your body, it doesn't maintain the same level of acuity that it did, you know, when you were 20. Um, you know, we have this expectation that we can still talk to people from the other room or, um, you know, not get someone's attention before you start speaking to them. And for people with hearing loss, that's really not fair um, to, to do that to them. They're already at a deficit. It would be like asking somebody to read something from another room. You know, we, we might be able to do that on a whim, uh, but more than likely you're going to have to change your position or do something that isn't just, you know, enhancement through glasses or contacts. You might actually have to move closer, uh, or, you know, do something to, to change the dynamic. Well, and this is really interesting because it's actually making me think of something that has nothing to do with hearing, but you just, if we're talking about communication, I mean, my daughter, when she's in front of a screen, and whether it's an iPad or watching a show or whatever, and I'm calling out from the other room, hey, do you want water with your dinner? And she doesn't answer me. I mean, it, that's lazy on both parts, too. But it's also, you know, habit forming. And this is the, the world we live in today where screens are more common and it's not going to go away. Right. So how do you break out of that well I think it it's something you have to desire to do I mean kids are you know not interested in in changing their habits from screen unless you're um, teaching them good habits and enforcing good habits did you do that with your kids oh I wish I could say I was um, (laughs) awesome at that (laughs) Um, my son is 21 he um, he's you know just like everybody else's kid he grew up in the you know Nintendo, uh, Xbox generation, which, um, you know, I never really understood too much. I'm, you know, the Pac-Man generation. So I I mean, joystick and Atari, man, it's Atari, you know, Pong. (laughs) That's about all I can handle. (laughs) Now now there's like elaborate stories and all kinds of things going on. I'm like scared of it. I'm so glad Wilder doesn't do video games yet. It's crazy. So it's crazy. So yeah, I mean, it does, how does, Tell me your thoughts on that, just as far as communicate human communication. Yeah, I mean, I think we communicate the most poorly with the people we love the most. I mean, oh, I, my I gosh. always say to myself, you know, you would never turn your back on a stranger while you were talking, but you'll do it to the people you love every day. 
with without even thinking. I, and I'm guilty of it myself. I mean, my husband honestly will look at me like I'm a nut as I'm, you know, checking things off my laundry list and, you know, walking into the next room while I'm trying to ask him a question. And he's just, you know, looking at me like, you know better. But yet we still all do it because that's the human condition. You know, we're self-centered, I think, as a general rule. Um, but listening requires you to be less self-focused. You have to be other-focused. You have to um, be very present to what's happening, um, not just with yourself, but with someone else. So um, I think we need more of it. You know, you've been married for 25 years-ish? Almost. Okay. Getting there. This is a big year for me. I'm going to turn the big 5-0. I'm going to be married 25 Half years. Half of your Holy life. Cow. I mean, how can that be real? I mean, I feel like it was just yesterday that, you know, 25 sounded like ancient. It was. <laughs> Actually, let's talk about yesterday. Let's go back in time a little bit here. Where did you grow up? Oh, um, I grew up in a um, town outside of Richmond, Virginia called Midlothian. Um, and at the time, I understand now it's um, a much larger kind of thriving suburb community. But uh, at the time, it was kind of a rural, small town. Um, and you had asked me at one point to share kind of how I got into audiology. And it really stems from that period of time. It was back in the 70s, and mainstreaming kids with disabilities was really popular. Um, so, you What does that explain oh, what that yeah. means? So mainstreaming meant instead of taking kids out of the classroom and educating them elsewhere or, you know, at a different institution or even in a different classroom where they were kind of segregated on their own, they were... Um, still in they were brought into regular classrooms and then they may have resource people to help them um, but they decided that this was a much better way to educate kids with disabilities so for luck of the draw my elementary school happened to be the elementary school in Chesterfield County, Virginia, where they took all of the kids with hearing loss and brought them into one elementary school. So from kindergarten, I had kids with auditory trainers and hearing aids, and there were, you know, remote microphones for teachers and um, sign language and, um, you know, it was just infused into my everyday environment and um, I I think that that obviously had a big impression on me um, I had friends that had hearing loss one of my best friends in elementary school had significant hearing loss and and then you know I left elementary school and I kind of forgot about everything went on with my life and got to college and had to take different can you know basic education things and I took a class called intro to communication disorders and in that class they had a section on hearing and audiology it's primarily speech pathology which is kind of the sister profession of audiology and um, I just kept coming back to the ear and being like I'm fascinated I just think it's so cool and I you know wasn't sure what I wanted to to do you know did I want to be a teacher. I thought maybe I wanted to be a, a deaf educator or, you know, something in that genre. And then I just 
also became fascinated by technology. So audiology is a perfect marriage of that. We get tons of technology and um, helping people. And it's been an amazing 25 years so far. I, I love wow. getting up in the morning. So when... So it's like a true calling. And I think that is a gift. And we all need to pause for a moment and like bathe in the fact that somebody had a calling, a real calling, and then gave into it, like Mm -hmm. dove into it. Didn't give in, you dove in. So cool. Well, it's definitely after a series of other options in college that my mom liked to call my waitressing majors. <laughs> what were those? Like your your only chance after college is to be a waitress? Yeah, if you, like if you, you know, I oh my god, that's would hilarious. announce to her things like I am going to be a philosophy major. I just thought that sounded fascinating, and I took some classes, and I just you know I loved sitting around and thinking about things. And she used to you know call those types of uh, majors. No offense to people who majored in that um, but she called them my waitressing majors that if I needed to she was you know single mom she was like girl you gotta get a job so how's she that gonna work out she would she would still be mad at me mine was sociology was that also a waitressing major? probably <laughs> probably I mean god love my mom um, she oh my was, God, a, your mom she was awesome. a teacher and an educator and um, single mom so oh, wow. I think for her it was like you know got to be able to support yourself and be a woman that can stand on your own two feet so so she was a big influence in your life growing up yeah yeah did you have siblings um I am my mom's only child okay but I do have siblings Mm -hmm. um my father was married um before he was married to my mom and then he was married after he was married to my mom so I it's kind of a weird thing it's like I'm an only child and yet I have you know, four sisters and two brothers. Families on both it's sides. Very weird. Oh my gosh. So. Was um was your mom like bitter because of the divorce or how did that Yeah, I mean I go think down? it you know, I don't know if divorce is ever, you know, anything that is a pleasant experience for things, but I'll tell you what, she is um just such a pioneer I mean back in back in the 70s like women getting divorced and you know making careers of things uh, I mean it just wasn't the norm and I learned a lot from from watching her you know make sure I had everything that I needed and you know really empower me to become educated and to have a career and to rely on myself. And I think that's a lot of where my entrepreneurial spirit comes from, um, along with my husband, but because uh, he was an entrepreneur. So I'm clearly attracted to that in some capacity. But uh, We're going to get there. Uh-oh. I actually want to go back. I was thinking about this too, when you, like in your childhood, when all of the hearing lost kids ended up coming to your school, I, I would... I wondered if some people may have looked at them as different or weird or tried to stay away from that crowd or if everyone accepted them or like how did it sounds like you didn't see them as different. I think, you know, obviously they they were different in the way that, you know, they're wearing hearing aids and and things. I mean, that's obviously different and you know, a number of them, my my friend I was talking about earlier included, had very 
distinguishingly deaf speech. I mean, if you've ever heard someone with hearing loss speak that has significant hearing loss, especially if they were born with hearing loss, they often have a very characteristic um, tone to their speech because they've never heard themselves in that in that way. Um, so the way that they monitor their own voices is unusual and in comparison to people with with traditionally good hearing, um, they feel vibration, and um, you know they're trying to mimic, you know, through an impaired system. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's hard to think that you know people or children back then uh, didn't see them as different. I think for me. Um, instead of looking at them as different and staying away, I think I was curious. I think it always, for me, felt like it came out of a curiosity of how how does this work and, and why is this different? And they still seem like really great people. So, you know. Uh, it's interesting because you are, by trade, you treat people who probably experience discrimination in certain ways and you mentioned the speech and I I wasn't thinking about that but that's obvious you know I would think that when people hear someone who has that kind of distinctive speech they might go what's wrong with them right and it's this immediate idea that something's wrong and it's just it's such a tough thing for me to get my head around living in a way where people immediately look at you as if you're different and not necessarily in a good way and, you know, the, the thing about hearing loss that, that is always the complicating factor is that you can't see it. Right. So, you know, you can't look at someone across the room and have empathy for them um, because of something you can see as characteristically different or challenging. Um, it It's difficult. And if you've never experienced... Um, hearing or being having difficulty hearing in some capacity um i think it's hard to to empathize with even even if um it's an acquired hearing loss i think you know children with hearing loss certainly it's it's easier to wrap your heart around but i think that's where um as people get older you know hearing loss is very gradual oftentimes um Many times people don't even recognize that they have hearing loss until their families are ready to kill them. Okay, let's talk about that. Actually, we we hit on this at the beginning, which was like, what can we expect in this long life of ours if we live to be 90? Mm. What happens to our ear mechanism, as you called it? I mean, it's, I would say there's no guarantee, um, but it's very likely that you know, the sensory portion of your ear. So in your inner ear, you have a very small snail-shaped organ that's called your cochlea. And inside your cochlea, you have all these little sensory hairs that are tuned like keys on a piano. So any um, thing that causes those sensory hairs to degrade and, you know, that could be noise exposure, that could be some kind of illness or injury, 
that could also just be a genetic predisposition in your family, like a family history of hearing loss um, can cause those hairs to degrade. But just really um, for you know a large percentage of the population, um, they will just degrade due to the natural aging process. It's something called presbycusis as the formal name of it, um, which means that it's not like you have an earplug in and you take the earplug out and everything's great. Um, I will give you kind of the what I would use as an example that sometimes people can get their head around. Sensory hearing losses like the macular degeneration of your ears. So you can put glasses on, but it doesn't perfect your vision. Does that make sense? Yes. So there may be distortion. There may be um, even with amplification, you know, a lack of clarity that we can't achieve from the outside because you've got sound, although processed beautifully, moving through a damaged system. So, you know, it's like the wires aren't completely plugged in, if that makes sense. That's kind of a, that's my own analogy. It's not, you know, that there's a problem with, you know, you hear people say nerve loss. It's really not nerve loss in most cases. It's sensory loss. And it's the little hairs. It's the little hairs. And they can't help pluck them back up or plump them back up. Not at this point. You know, they're doing studies. Um, they look at, I, what's really funny is they're, um, they're doing studies with chickens, which I think is crazy. Do they have this for, for whatever reason, okay. chickens can actually regrow their hair cells of the inner ear. So they're Whoa. studying them. Because humans cannot regrow them. They cannot. So once they're damaged through, what What if you just go to a really loud concert one night? Can that do it? Theoretically. So oftentimes when you go to a concert and let's say you choose not to wear hearing protection um, and your ears ring the next day, that's in some ways kind of a signal from your body that, you know, there's been a trauma, if you will. Now, enough trauma over time and, you know, that doesn't come back. So there's a temporary shift and then it may come back. Um, but over time, it's cumulative when we're talking about noise exposure. So each subsequent exposure just adds one on top of the other and aggregates. Aggregates, yeah. So, so protect your hearing. That's like golden rule. Golden rule. We need to do everything right. <laughs> we only have one <laughs> life. so many things. I know. But so, that's an easy one, right? And it it's cheap. It's an easy one. It's like okay. two bucks okay, or something. Okay, so do you just get the little like foamy yeah. things that you stick yeah. in there? I mean, when you're- there's great hearing protection that can be customized. We can do mm-hmm. filtered earplugs for concerts. I have some. They're awesome. Oh, really? So you really still get the full experience. Yeah, they're called musician's earplugs. Oh. So they maintain a really beautiful frequency response while protecting your hearing at the same time. You have all the cool toys. It's true. You have and, all the cool and ear toys. And they have glitter on oh them. Oh, my so God. So it doesn't have to be ugly and weird. No. <laughs> well, and leading up to this, you mentioned um, like people may lose their hearing and not even know it until their family's about to kill them. Like what are the signs that someone you love is having hearing loss or maybe you are and you you need to analyze yourself? Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, I would say asking for frequent repetitions is a really good one. Um, noticing, usually family members notice that the TV is starting to, to go up. Um, that you're misunderstanding. It, you know, sometimes it's that it's not that I don't hear you. It's that I didn't understand you. And so, but that may, so there is, how does that work? You know, that's not hearing necessarily. That's cognition. Could be. Okay. Could be a combination of both. Okay. So um, oftentimes people will lose high frequency hearing first, which if you think about only hearing the base of things and not hearing the trouble, so you're missing um, clarity, beginnings and endings of words, you know, things like S's and T's and F's and V's. So I like to think about it like you're playing a really um, challenging version of Wheel of Fortune where, you know, if you've got enough information, you could probably figure it out, but um, you just don't have enough of that consonant stuff to really put it all together. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And does the person who's experiencing hearing loss often talk louder? Yes. Sometimes they talk louder. Sometimes they'll trick you though, and they'll talk softer. Because they know? No, because what you do is you get closer and you, um, you know, it changes your behavior. So if somebody's talking really softly, (laughs) it's it's kind of like a defense mechanism. Um, Really complicated. Communication strategy. Yeah. You know, a lot of times people talk louder, but I've seen it where people start to talk really soft because they'll be like, what? Oh my gosh, I'm not hearing them. I better move closer. I better right. increase oh my, gosh. my voice, you know, or whatever. So, uh, okay. There's we, so much we are good tricky stuff here. Humans. This is insane. Okay. So, um, Gosh, I, I, I've kind of bounced all over the place. I wanted to hit on a topic you talked about a couple times or mentioned, which is vibration. Mm. So when I met you, it was through our friend Aaron who put together Evoso, which is this incredible like speaker training program she has. And um, you did an incredible talk on stage a couple years ago at E-Town. And, you know, you opened and closed it with sound which is really cool. But one of the points you made was that sound is really just vibration. And therefore, it's sort of the foundation for everything, for all of the things, sensory things we see and feel and hear, right? Mm. Maybe you can talk a little more about vibration and what that means to you or how people can imagine that that's really the basis for their ability to hear and feel. (laughs) I mean, I always think about it from the standpoint of it's one of the first senses that we develop in the womb and it's the last sense that leaves us in death. And so for me, that's where it gets really, really powerful that this vibration all around us, I mean, Einstein said that the entire universe is made of vibration and matter is simply vibration slowed down enough for the eyes to see it and for the senses to feel it. And man, when I heard that quote, I mean, it really was like, good grief, like everything around me is vibration. It's sound. It's just sound in solid form um, or sound in, you know, in any form. That's, that's really everything in our entire universe, um, which, you know, as an audiologist, I think is the coolest thing ever. Um, 
but it's so deep, you know, we're, we're really just incredibly lucky to be human beings on this planet and this time and to have these experiences and sound is one of the things that help us connect better with others, you know, cause what's the point if you're not connecting with others? That's really true. You know, one of the, and, and as part of being human, having the human experience, it's riding the roller coaster waves of life and, uh, and sometimes getting stuck along the way. And I remember one of the things you said in that talk is when you change your vibration, you can change your life. Like, what does that really mean? That seems so much deeper than, than just hearing. Yeah, this, um, a lot of my philosophy on that comes out of my um, background as being a yoga teacher, which, you know, if you spit in Boulder, you'll hit a yoga teacher. I think, you know, there's at least, you know, per capita more yoga teachers than anywhere else on the planet. But and I probably hit like 10 of them today on my hike. Exactly. I was spitting a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> the point being um, <laughs> that the philosophy um, kind of helps you connect with that, that sense of, um, you know, you're not alone in this world and um, your thoughts and your actions and um, your everything about you has a vibration. And because of that, you can shift or change that. You can change your thought from a, a negative thought to a positive thought. That's a change in vibration. Um, how you resonate in the world is vibration. So, you know, how, how do you want to be perceived? But, you know, what are you putting out there? Wow. And, you know, a lot of our, our worlds are being surrounded by other people, right? And so when you're attracted to other people or not attracted to other people, suddenly I'm like imagining that I'm just like this vibrating matter and they're vibrating matter. And like we're either on the same vibration or we're not. Right. That's so crazy. Yeah. I mean, I think we know that instinctively. But to think about it in terms of vibration, um, it just puts a little bit of a different spin on it. But you know, when you, um, you know, you connect with somebody, there's, there's an energy there. Yeah, there's there's a feeling to it. And I think, you know, that feeling and that energy has a certain vibe to it. I mean, it sounds very, you know, flower child, you know, bolder to say, you know, I like your vibe, man. But <laughs> well, it's like when you started mentioning yoga, your whole voice changed. Did it? Did I get my Everything. yoga voice on? You did. Tell me, like, talk about what yoga means to you. How'd you Ooh. find it? And, and what are you doing with it? Man, I, I say, you know, like as a practice owner, yoga saved my life. Um, I'm not sure I'd still be a practice owner um, and entrepreneur and business owner if I hadn't found my way onto a yoga mat. <laughs> Um, my stress level was through the roof. Um, I had a young child with, you know, 50 different activities going on and running him here, there and everywhere. Um, and I was invited by a friend to try yoga. And I, I remember saying to myself, oh, I don't know if I can do that. 
And she was like, well, just come. And um, of course, I went to a 90-minute hot yoga class as my introduction to yoga. And I thought I was going to die. But when I left, I walked out and I got in my car and I remember driving up the road and I I, I may have even said it out loud. I, I said, I feel awesome. Like, just, I don't. Yes, like, just saying like, it out loud I think I to yourself. Said, like, I love it. In the car, like, I feel great. <laughs> like, oh, like, it's what been happened? so long. What just hit me? And um, I I couldn't wait to go back. Like, I it became, like, obsessive. Um, and, you know, as you're practicing and someone says, you know, you should do a teacher training. And I said, oh, you know, I don't want to teach yoga. And they were like, well, you can just deepen your practice and learn more about um you know, the mechanics. And I was, you know, fascinated by that. Um, I was always drawn to the philosophy. For me, it um, was important that it had meaning behind it, almost like a spiritual component to it. Um, And then, you know, obviously, you know, the side aspect of, you know, certain forms of yoga that um, infuse music and chanting and vibration and you know you put all that together with an audiologist and I was like holy you know what oh Um, yeah I'm hooked oh yeah and uh so I did my first teacher training and then on the 10th anniversary of my practice after I had paid off my SBA loan um I told my husband it took me a year to figure it out but I said here's what's happening I'm going away. I'm going away for a month. I'm going to Omega in New York and I'm doing Jiva Mukti teacher training. And I packed up myself, went by myself and didn't know anybody, showed up and spent a month just immersed in yoga and immersed in in learning and teaching and growing. And I mean, it was like mind blowing. So were you at a point in your life when you felt like you just needed something big to change you? Or were you, again, being sort of just called to this? Um, I think I was called to it. I mean, part of uh, the Jiva Mukti practice specifically, there's there's a tenant of it. It was... um, Will you explain Jiva Mukti? Sure. Because it seems like yoga is like all the eating philosophies out there. Right. There's like paleo and, no, you know. Yeah, there's like 50 yeah. different versions of, uh-huh. of the same thing yes. in, in many ways. But mm-hmm. um, so Jiva Mukti yoga specifically, Jiva means individual soul. Um, and Mukti means liberation in Sanskrit. And they, so they, be, they believe in the liberation of your soul in this lifetime for, you know, but they use the vehicle of yoga to help you see yourself as a holy being, so to speak. And that sounds very out there and weird, but um, I will tell you that they're, um, they're one of their tenants is something called nada yoga which is the yoga of sound and for me again that's where it was like oh yeah this is this is something I need to do Um, and I need to understand how you know moving my body using my breath and being a vibrational being 
that is here for positive change can really manifest in the world. Wow. So did you, was your soul liberated? Well, I'm still working on it. Um, is it like a lifelong practice? Yeah. yeah. For me, I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm sure that there are others that, you know, certainly get there faster than I do. I, you know, might take me many lifetimes to get there. Hard to say, but, um, yeah, it was a, it was just a transformative time. I don't know that I was necessarily called to like, I have to do something big, like I need to change or shift something. I just felt like it was a celebration um, of 10 years of having my practice and paying off that SBA loan. Ooh, I was like, I want to celebrate. And, you know, instead of sitting on a beach, what fun, you know, yeah. I always joke like I could have sat on a beach, but no. Um, you meditated and um, held a uh, whatever pose for yes, <laughs> hours. Why not, right? Um, have you ever done, done the sound bowls? The healing sound Ooh, bowls? Yes. Oh my god, incredible! I just want to live with somebody who does that. I know, and just have them do it all day. I know, and you know, so it, you know, yoga, yoga changed my life. It saved my life in many ways. Um, I don't think I would be the person that I am. And I always say that I probably um, teach my best yoga um, as just a general, regular person walking around in the world. I don't have to get up in front of a class and tell you to hold this pose. But, you know, even in my own audiology practice, I can tell you to breathe. I can help you um understand the relationship between stress and other chronic conditions and their relationship to ears and hearing. So, you know, it's holistic. Yeah, for sure. Everything is. I mean, it just adds another dimension, like you said. You know, it's like there's sort of who we are, there's what we do, there's different roles we have in our lives, there's, you know, we ha- we're, we're multifaceted people, right? humans and I've been thinking about as we've been chatting like we we started out by talking about what you do you know by trade by career and then we learned um, a practice that you started to include in your life to help you balance your life and then all of a sudden it kind of opened your eyes to life being a lot bigger it seems like or gave you, uh, like I mentioned, tools to help you deal with the things in your work and your practice. Um, but it, but I know that you've also evolved in a different way as well into potentially a future career or a future calling as somebody who may be able to help others in another way. You know, I mentioned we met through speaking, um, you're a storyteller. You say it on your on your website, and you are, and you're a brilliant storyteller. And one of the things that you like to speak a lot about is confidence. Um, I don't know. I just thought maybe we could have a little conversation about, like, what is this other part of you that's starting to emerge? And, like, why now? And what are you going to do with this part of you? Why is it important? Yeah. Wow, all of those are big questions. Uh-huh, they huge are huge questions. Pick one of them. Pick, Go with it. Pick one. <laughs> Why not? Um, yeah, you know, well, I came to Avoso and Aaron Weed um, primarily after a really 
horrible speaking experience. Um, I had like been like what happened? You oh, gotta yeah, share. You I'm gotta share. You, face down. <laughs> it was it like was what awful. were you at? Like some national convention? I was. Or, oh my I god! Was. Oh, no. I was at a national convention. I was speaking um, with a group of uh, women. Um, there were I want to say four or five of us that each took a portion of a three hour. Um, time frame to talk about um, different women's issues and audiology and uh, audiologists are primarily women. Um, the The makeup of the profession is like eighty nine percent women, so we we've got a lot of women to speak to. And what I always find just hilarious is that um, as we were mapping out this talk, uh, I took on the idea of confidence and and understanding what confidence is and how it plays into um, how we work in the world. And then I'm standing on stage <laughs> talking about confidence and I'm losing it. Like I'm shaking, I'm sweating. I start getting deer in the headlights, you know, kind of thing. Like I couldn't, I, I was like almost frozen. And one of my co-presenters, who's now a dear friend, started shouting out questions from the back of the room. And honest to God, I thought she was heckling me. And I just, again, it just like put me right over the was edge. Was she trying to help you? She though? was trying to help me. I mean, to try in, to like jog you in out her of defense. That state. Like, oh my God. holy cow! Like, <laughs> what are we gonna do? She's losing it. <laughs> and she's talking about confidence. And and yeah, right. Is, so it was oh totally gosh. ironic. Um, and I remember walking out of that room and. I said to myself, if not out loud, I don't ever want to feel that way again. Like, I need to get a handle on that because that was crazy and I I can't ever feel that way. So something's got to change. And I came home and a friend of mine, my one of my very best friends, uh, happened to sign up to go see this crazy one night uh, speaker thing called Evoso. She saw you speak, as a matter of Ooh, fact. Boy. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And from the car, she called me and she said, Oh my God, I, you've got to get to know this Aaron Weed. I think, I think she's, you're supposed to work with her. Like, I just went to this thing and it had you written all over it. And I think it took me a couple of weeks and I finally called Aaron and I did a dig. And I think I called my friend Trisha, the same woman, and I after the dig and was like, oh, my God. What's your dig word? My dig word is limitless. <gasps> oh, I love it. Wow. But yeah, it was like ridiculous. And so then Aaron said... Um, we're doing this thing called Speaker MBA um, the year after year class. And I signed on because I thought to myself, if I'm going to be able to pull myself out of that crazy confidence wreckage, this is, you know, what's the one of people's greatest fears is public speaking. Um, so I went on the journey with Aaron and got to do my talk on stage. And man, I mean, it was game changing. Yeah, it was a game changer. And there's we'll have a link here in the show notes to uh, Deanne's original talk at Avoso. It's wonderful. You guys need to listen to it. Um, so where does it take you now? Like, we all, you know, yeah, some of us are lucky to have the same career our whole lives, but most people don't. And they were built for change and evolution. So do you think you're going to do something more with this? You know, I hope so. 
I really do. I mean, in some ways, I, I think I'm not sure how it looks, but I just keep putting one foot in front of the other and um, finding things that speak to me. I mean, it's served me pretty well. Um, I've been working with a life coach, which has been amazing. Okay, like that, I like, I still don't quite understand the whole life coach thing. Like, remember when it started and people were like, what? Like, I mean, You're honestly, coaching I me thought how it was, to live? at first I thought it was kind of ridiculous. I'm like, what is that? And, um, so my, my life coach's name is Casey Carter, Christopher Carter. Um, he actually has a very cool podcast called This Epic Life. Ooh, we're going to check um, it out. And you can check out his website called thisepiclife.com. Um, he actually is a TEDx speaker and he is a, um, I would, I, I don't know that I would call him, uh, I would call him a, a friend and, um, ally of Jonathan Fields from the Good Life Project. If you're familiar with that mm-hmm. podcast as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I met him in Costa Rica about a year ago. I was down there for a business retreat and he was one of the coaches that they brought in. And um, I discovered that he was a yogi. He is um, a disciple of uh, Yogananda from Encinitas, California. And I'm from Encinitas, California. So (laughs) when I left Virginia, my mom and I moved to this small coastal town. And so we had this instant connection. And he speaks to me, you know, he speaks my yogi language. So he said to me, because I said, you know, what is that? What is this like life coach business? Because I feel like I need it, but I'm not sure why. And he said, it's not therapy. If you want to look back on your life, get a therapist and work through all of your stuff. I am here to take you from today and move you forward and take you on, you know, help you along the path and whatever that looks like for you. Um, you know, so we, we do lots of different things. We kind of set goals and um, work towards them, figure out, you know, ways for me to be efficient in um, learning what that next step looks like. So um, my mantra for 2019 is if it's not a hell yeah, it's a no. That's been kind of a big one for me because I am the queen of like, I say yes to everything because gosh, I wouldn't want to miss a great opportunity. And now I'm learning how to discriminate, which has been great. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad this podcast was a hell yeah. Oh my God. It was a hell yeah. Are you kidding? (laughs) Nicole DeVoom calls. It's a hell yeah. I love it. Oh, it's so great. Um, Okay. So we're going to be giving Casey, what's his Again? Casey Carter. So oh Christopher Carter. He's amazing. This epic life. Um, he's probably going to pick up like a hundred new clients. Um, however, we need to do a quick call out, maybe not quick, to one of the organizations that you work closely with because now I'm thinking about all the cool different connections that you have in this world. Um, the Starkey Foundation. You mentioned traveling to Costa Rica. I know you didn't go to Costa Rica for them, but you travel around the world helping people through this foundation, right? I do. Yeah, share I, a little bit. Oh my gosh. I mean, if if there have been events that you can look back in your life and say, this changed my life. I mean, I, I feel like I throw that around a lot, but um, I was lucky enough to... Um, just well, I knew of the foundation. I, you know, as an audiologist, I knew the Starkey Hearing Foundation and all the work that they do in the world. 
Um, but I am now a global hearing ambassador for them. And I've been so lucky and so blessed to help forward their mission. Um, their, their mission is really so the world may hear. They are doing in the world what you know governments have not been able to do, um, what other organizations haven't been able to do. They are going into countries all over the world identifying people with hearing loss and hearing need. How do they do that um, with they, like these massive communities that don't have a lot of infrastructure? I know, I know. So they actually have a four-phase mission um, way of doing things. So their phases are ongoing all over the world. So phase one, they identify people with hearing loss. They go in, um, they have connections with community leaders and um, other medical professionals. They test people and identify them. And then they go back for phase two where they fit the devices, so fitting hearing aids. Um, phase three is aftercare. So you don't just you know go to some third world country and drop hearing aids off and say, wow, isn't that great? Aren't we doing great things in the world? They have an ongoing aftercare program where they're making sure that people are taken care of, that, you know, devices break, that they have batteries, that they get continuing counseling and education around communication and how to use the devices well in their lives. And then they've started a phase four um, in several countries, Kenya and India and also in the Philippines, where they're um, actually building schools. So um, mainstreaming into life. Because remember, we talked about like I grew up where mainstreaming was a thing. And in many countries around the world, people are isolated and they're segregated um, from the hearing community. Uh, so they don't have the same opportunities you know, as people that have normal hearing might have. So I've been really blessed. I've been to India twice. I've been to Guyana in South America. I've been to St. Lucia. Um, I'm hoping, uh, fingers crossed, I'm going to Puerto Rico. They've been working with Lin-Manuel Miranda uh, and a number of uh different big names in Puerto Rico. So we're going to be going in and doing some work in Puerto Rico and helping that community who is still struggling um, from the after effects of the hurricane. But, oh, yeah. Uh, you just uh, had a trip to India? I did. And you guys did something kind of cool there? <laughs> yeah, we did. We totally did. Um, back in October, I was a part of the international team that worked with their uh, team on the ground. So part of what they do is they don't um, just bring people in from the outside, but they have teams of people in their own local communities helping each other. It's really important that things are simple, sustainable, scalable, and sustainable in those communities. So um, yeah, they they had a an event in Pune, India uh, with the Guinness Book of World Records. So we broke with the team from India, the Guinness Book of World Records for number of people fit with hearing aids in a single eight hour period. We fit 4,840 people in a single day. That's absolutely insane. It was crazy. And oh my gosh. probably um, I've never been so excited, elated and exhausted 
all oh. at the same time. I mean, it, it when you guys watch this video of what Deanne does, she shows part of this journey, just one little snippet of giving a young girl the gift of like hearing for the first time, yeah. right? And I can just imagine 4,840 people it's getting over this and gift. over and over all day long. And, and how positive just... and oh, they probably all just want to stick around and hug you and 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 cheer. And you're like, okay, move on. I got to get the next guy. <laughs> and, and that's not how you want people to feel. <laughs> no. but, um, that's why there's aftercare. No, that's and why there's aftercare. I but, mean, I think people understand this bigger mission, yeah. though. This is so, I so mean, cool. Bill and Tanny Austin um, are man they they are superstars they are my heroes um what they're doing in the world these these people have have everything they they uh, bill started uh starkey hearing technologies uh years ago and built this amazing global company and really he knew he was called to bigger and he and his wife have you know, decided to spend their free time uh, championing, championing hearing and helping people hear better all over the world. Um, they could really be sitting on a beach somewhere, but uh, they're not. They're out there every day. First ones there in the morning, last ones out at night. Um, they inspire all of us to, I mean, if I ever want to know, you know, if I have more to give, I just have to, you know, look over my shoulder and see these two incredible people and, you know, you can't help but give more. Yeah. And it just inspires us all to be really good leaders and role models to the people around us because we can make a change. Wow. So cool. All right. Let's leave people with some do's and don'ts. Okay. 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 Practically speaking. So I was under the impression that I need to go see my female doctor every year for my annual. And now I guess I'm supposed to get an eye exam every year, but I never think about my ears. Mm -hmm. So... What should we be doing? I mean, when I care, when I rule the world, <laughs> when you Here, rule, here's how things yes, will go. Done. Um, with ears and hearing, um, what I think that we do is we see the value of testing babies, which is fabulous. That didn't come about until the '90s, if you can believe that, wow. where universal uh, hearing screenings started happening. So that's at least you know, a very positive step forward, thanks to um, Marion Downs, who was a Colorado woman. Uh -huh. She passed away a few years ago at the age of 100. She was crazy, awesome role model. Um, but so we so we test people when when they're babies, we test them throughout childhood, because we understand the value of speech and language development. But then we forget about you as a society. And we almost wait for you to start figuring out that you might have a problem. I believe that we need to change that. I believe that we need to make hearing care and hearing screenings a routine part of adult care. Um, at minimum, 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 have your hearing evaluated by an audiologist when you turn age 50. Find a base, you need a baseline because you you know you want to know what's happened as you begin the the aging process. So can you can start whenever though? You certainly can. Okay, so Absolutely, after you listen, at minimum. after you listen to this episode, if you live in Colorado, you go see Deanne. 
Yes. Okay. And what's the name of your practice? Longmont Hearing and Tinnitus Center. You can uh, look us up on the web at www.longmonthearing.com. Okay. Done. And if you don't live here locally, then you can yes. fly in and see me. <laughs> but um, otherwise, how can they find an audiologist? Yes. I would say that the best way is to look uh, up audiologists on our national organization website. Um, and that would be the American Academy of Audiology. It's audiology.org. Okay. Um, and you can find a, a doctor of audiology in your local area that can serve you. There are so many amazing uh, colleagues across the, the country. So Great. Cool. Okay, good. So now we have some resources. So what should we not be doing? Like, should we be using Q-tips to clean our ears? Good Lord, no. And what about like the outside of your ears? <laughs> okay, outside of the ear, that's okay, fine. Or a washcloth. Or, or a washcloth, that's fine. So yeah, don't why, stick Q-tips down in the ear. Why don't, do they exist? They're, they're like lethal weapons. They are lethal weapons. Um, you know, they. I don't know if you've ever heard somebody say, don't put anything in your ear smaller than your elbow. Have you ever heard that? No. Well, it must have been like, I'm older than you. Elbow, so. man. Well, you can't really fit your own elbow in your ears, exactly, so it's hard to imagine. Right. But, right. So well, maybe that's things the in point. your ears. Um, because what a Q-tip often does is press any wax uh, deeper into the ear than your ear can naturally clean itself. So there is a self-cleaning mechanism portion of the outer ear. Um, but if you get aggressive with with Q-tips, you can push wax deeper. You can cause abrasions on the side of the ear canal. Um, we even see people that you know can get it so deep in there that it ends up damaging their eardrum. So that's that's a big no-no. Okay, Just throw out the Q-tips okay, unless throw you're out the cleaning with them. Mm-hmm. Not your body, your Not house. Your body. Um, what, uh, what about candling? What about like the mm. wax that wants to come out and you're like, can I just get that stuff out of there? Candling is a big giant myth. Doesn't work. <laughs> it, it, I've never done it. it, it yeah, sounds cool. It, it sounds cool, right? It sounds like, you know, you, you read like on the packaging, gonna, like there's this oh, vacuum effect it's and like, it's going to be amazing. And it, there goes the I've wax. seen it work, but, um, I challenge you if you're listening and you say to yourself, but I've used them before and they work. They don't work. Burn one and don't put it in your ear. Just burn it like a regular old candle and then open it up. It looks exactly the same. (laughs) It changes the color of the clear wax that they use to to make the candle. Um, Yeah, it's a myth. Oh, that is a total myth. So So, if you need to clean your ears, right? Um, you can use some over-the-counter drops. You can flush the ears with warm uh, water uh, as long as you've never had any trauma to your ear. So if, if you've had any kind of injury to your ear, please don't do that. that that's not a good idea. But um, that's probably the easiest way if, you, if you've not had that happen to you. You could certainly see an audiologist. We're very skilled at getting wax out, and I... And I ridiculously you don't judge anybody oh, for Lord, their no. wax. I actually am. Um, it's one of the f- my f- most favorite parts of of what I do. It's <laughs> like I can cure your hearing loss. If your hearing loss is due to wax, I'm going to cure it like, I once, immediately. I had this doctor look in my ear and they're like, "Whoa, your ears are really hairy." And then I had this like complex that I had like a lot of hair in my ears. We all have hair in our ears. That's the good thing. We're yeah. supposed to, right? We're supposed to. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right, Dean, this is wrapping on such a fun note. We've been going for an hour. 
I feel like I could talk to you for the rest of I the mean, night. I mean, I just want to keep going because we didn't even hit on like a thousand things. But we should wrap because we need to we need to let people digest all this good information and be able to get out there and act on it. So let's do it. Let's um let's wrap it up with the final question that I ask everyone who comes on the show. Okay. And that is, if you can leave our listeners with one final piece of advice, one little nugget to help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way, what would it be? Mm. I would say, be confident in who you are and be willing to listen to what's going on around you, the people, the things, um, to be fully present in your world uh, in her, in the best way you can to show up and and really listen. I mean, that's it's the lost art. It really is the lost art. I'm listening. I'm glad. <laughs> it's a wrap. Thanks for coming on. Oh my gosh, I'm so happy that I got an opportunity to do this. Thanks so much. All right, you guys, I'm back. So what'd you think? Um, I was actually surprised at all the directions this episode took us from hearing to listening, there's a distinction, to yoga, to life coaching, to helping others, and so much more. I'm just so interested in how people come to find the work they do with such passion. Uh, Deanne's path was not obvious, yet here she is over two decades later helping people with one of the most basic functions that so many of us take for granted until we get old. Um, I think the quote that struck me most powerfully in this episode was when she said, we communicate most poorly with the people we love the most. I actually think she's right. And if we want to make a single change from this episode, it would be to change that statement as it applies to us. Don't you think? I think so. Look at your loved ones when you're talking to them. Don't turn away. Don't walk away. Be engaged and listen. Uh, for more on Deanne, go to her website, deannerudden.com. It's D-A-N-N-E-R-U-D-D-E-N.com. If you're local, make an appointment at the Longmont Hearing and Tinnitus Center. Um, either way, follow Deanne on Instagram, Facebook, because she is just one of those people who is making the world a better place, and it helps to have her energy in your life. All right, then, that's it for today. You know what time it is. It's time to get out there and run this world. Have a great workout, and I will see you next week. <laughs>